Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, and welcome to episode 236 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We are here today with Lieutenant Governor Cyrus Habib, a Democratic Lieutenant Governor of the state of Washington and the President of the Washington State Senate. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Habib is a former Washington State Senator and a former Washington State Representative, as well as a former editor of the Yale Law Review and a Rhodes Scholar. Cyrus, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you so much. Congratulations. 236 is a lot of episodes. Yeah, well, we are glad to have you and glad to be able to produce so many episodes with wonderful individuals like yourself. So uh, let's get started. The first question I'd like to ask you, uh, Cyrus, is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Well, I want to say, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I'm, I'm, I really admire uh, what you're doing and that you're um, engaging so many people uh, and, and demonstrating that it's not just those of us in elected office, but uh, also lots of other folks uh, in, the, in the public policy ecosystem who make a difference every day. And I, I really hope that those who are listening are encouraged by the different interviews um, that you showcase to find their own way into public policy, um, policy making, and public service more broadly. Um, you know, I, uh, just to give you some context, um, you know, for your listeners who may not know about me, my story is a little different than many others who, um, who, who are elected. My parents were immigrants to this country from Iran. They came um, in search of, of educational and economic opportunities. And uh, I was actually born in your home state of Maryland uh, mm -hmm. in, in Baltimore County in the Towson area. And um, my mom went to the University of Maryland for law school, uh, and my dad had gone to the University of Washington. And so um, when I was young, though, I was diagnosed with a rare childhood eye cancer that um, took my eyesight in my left eye as a newborn and then came back again and took my eyesight in my right eye at age eight years old, um, leaving me completely blind at age eight. Uh, so at that point, we moved from Maryland to Washington State. And uh, I grew up, went to public schools here, um, went on to, to study out of state for college, grad school, law school, et cetera, and, and then came back. Um, but, you know, that, that life story of being a, a three-time cancer-surviving, fully blind Iranian-American from a mixed-religion immigrant family, um, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it, it taught me a number of different things. And, and um you know, the most important of which is the importance of inclusion, um, that we live in an amazing country, the best country that's ever graced the face of the earth. Um, and it is great because it, it one because of one fundamental promise um, that, it, that it makes, which is that um, this American dream is not the monopoly of one person or one group, um, but uh, is something in which everyone should be included. And then obviously we're in a continual journey towards that more perfect union of, of having more people included. And so as I was, you know, when, as I was growing up, there were so many different ways in which um, I felt what it was like as a, as a young blind kid, you know, to be excluded. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, um, you know, it was, you know, kids being, um, kids being kids or kids being bullies. Um, and, and sometimes it was uh, adults who um, were, 
out of benevolence or out of a kind of, you know, compassionate place, um, just had lower expectations for me. And so I had to learn how to advocate for myself to be included. My, my mom taught me um, how to do that. And as I grew older, I realized there were so many others who were not being included um, in our society, uh, in our educational system, in our economic system, uh, not necessarily because of a disability, but for so many different reasons. And so I decided that I wanted to become a lawyer and ultimately um, a, a public servant so that I could uh, make our society more inclusive, take these opportunities that um, a, a shrinking number of Americans have and expand those opportunities out to include more people. And so that's what I've um, done as a legislator in the past, and that's what we're doing in my office, the office of the lieutenant governor, um, really trying to stay laser-like focused on uh, creating a culture of inclusiveness in Washington State, um, in all aspects of our society, in all aspects of our government, all aspects of our economy. Now, I'm interested, uh, Cyrus, in how you're able to sell the advocate for you, – you self-style yourself as an advocate for inclusion. Uh, and, of course, it sounds very wonderful, especially to progressive ears. But I'm sure there are individuals in society who say, well, you know, it sounds great, but there's a great cost to it, right? Because as we know, um, having become lieutenant governor, there's been a cost associated with retrofitting uh, voting with Braille uh, and making, uh, I guess, different. There's always costs associated with making things more accessible for those who have different disabilities. How do you characterize the cost of not acting uh, to create a more inclusive culture, and how do you use that framework to address individuals who may have concerns about the financial cost or any other kind of cost associated with creating a more inclusive uh, society and culture in Washington State? Well, look, I, I think that there's always, um, if, you know, if we if we uh, if we mean it about giving someone an opportunity, let's take a child. If, we, if we're serious about a child having an opportunity, there's always going to be a cost. The question is, um, who's paying the cost, right? So um, there's there's a price to doing it. So so for example, it's not like um, you know a kid born in an extremely affluent family. Um, is is going to end up uh, going to college, uh, and and that that uh, that that will happen absolutely for free. What's going to happen is that family is going to invest lots of resources in making sure that that kid has every opportunity. So you know they're going to um, make sure that they have um, you know good uh, pre-K uh, uh, learning opportunities. They're going to get them lots of you know, books and learning materials, and they're going to make sure they're in good schools, maybe private schools, maybe they'll live in an affluent area with high property values and good, you know, good, well-funded public schools. Um, they're going to have tutoring and exam prep and, and mentorship opportunities and after-school opportunities and summer camps and, you know, uh, the, the whole um, kind of cadre of different support services for their kids so that whether their kid is hardworking or not, frankly, Mm -hmm. um, their path to college will be assured. So, you know, now you take, you take a kid from a far less affluent family, let's say a kid whose family is, uh, or a kid who's on free or reduced lunch, um, you know, to get that kid to college also is going to take resources, but resources that the family doesn't have. And so, you know, the, the question isn't, you know, and, and no one, um, no public policy right now out there is trying to, to create the, an equal set of, of opportunities for that kid as the affluent kid has. All, 
you know, all we're saying as progressives is give that kid a reasonable shot at the same opportunities. Um, you know, I would, I, I fundamentally believe it should be an equal shot, but we know that, that, you know, in our system of government, our economy, it's not, it's, you know, we're, we're, no one wants to begrudge other people the extra chances they want to give their kids. Um, but, but we have to do that. And so that does take money. It does take resources because, um, you don't get there on your own. And I firmly believe that whether it's your socioeconomic situation or, you know, ability or disability or race or gender, um, there's nothing predetermined about whether or not you're going to go to college, whether or not you're going to have um, a family wage job when you're born. It's all those decisions that are made between your birth and your adulthood. And those take money, whether you're from a poor family or rich family. Now, on the topic of higher education, which I know is near and dear to your heart, Cyrus, you have had various initiatives to allow advanced placement and international baccalaureate programs to be, or exams, to be administered for free to low-income students. Can you elaborate on how you got that idea, what the impact of those programs are, and what you hope will be the effect of having implemented those programs? Yeah, so I, um, I believe very strongly in the importance of college. And... Um, you know, we have kind of three core areas um, that we work on in my office in addition to the kind of um, constitutional duties of presiding over the state senate and filling in for the governor when he leaves the state. There's three other areas that we work on. One is economic development, international trade. One is disability and veterans employment. And the other one is third one is creating a college going culture. And, um, you know, within that one, within that kind of higher education um, bucket, you know, there, there are a number of different initiatives and projects that we're working on. Um, we kind of divide them up into two different um, areas. One is um, the pipeline from high school to college, which is your question uh, focused on. And the other one is, um, you know, get, creating pathways for adults who um, don't have a college degree to go back and, and to get one. And, you know, this, I want to just frame this by saying, you know, this is not without controversy. Um, we're living uh, in a moment politically where um, increasingly, and frankly, on both sides of the aisle, um, you hear the following sentence, uh, quote, college isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as I, the reason I told you my background was because I grew up as a blind kid hearing you know, some really well-meaning people say things like that all the time, you know, about me. Um, you know, well, it's great to have him in school, but, and, you know, I know he wants to play with the other kids during recess, but, you know, recess isn't for everyone. Um, or, you know, I know that, you know, all the kids are signing up for theater classes uh, after school, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, come on, um, you know, drama and, and acting and theater, you know, that's not for everyone. Um, Sounds like that kind of sucked for you. I mean, it must have been well, terrible. I mean, but, it, but, it, but it didn't because it didn't because you want to know why? Because I had a 24-hour-a-day um, uh, pro bono attorney, and that was my mom. Um, you know, and she she even though they you know grew up in Tehran um, years before and miles away from the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, they my parents really really believed growing up that that was BS. You know, that that, that, that type of, um, you know, lowering of expectations that, you know, was really going to consign me to um, 
a quality of life uh, that was far below what I deserved. And so, you know, that's how we, you know, they, they really paved the path from Braille to Yale for me was by saying, you know, not we're going to pressure you, but like whatever it is that your talent, your interest, and your ability to lead you to want to do, you're, you should be able to do. So it, along those lines, um, you know, as I said, we kind of have this, this struggle right now where people are increasingly saying college isn't for everyone. And, you know, guess what? The person saying that almost certainly went to college. And what's more, Jordan, is that most likely the person who's saying that, most likely their kids went to or are going to college, will go to college, have gone to college. So they're not talking about their kids. They're talking about someone else's kids. And what they don't mean, let me give you an example from, uh, from Maryland, your home state, my birthday. Um, what they don't mean is that, you know, kids at, at the Gilman School Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, right now, which for our um, listeners, it, by the way, is an elite private prep school in Baltimore City. Yeah. So is that like at the Gilman School that like kids are mistakenly deciding to go to Harvard and Yale, but actually what they really should be doing is looking for uh, like a hyper specific vocational training program or certificate. <laughs> that, that's not what they mean. Right. What they mean is they're talking about poor kids. Right. And they're saying mm-hmm. like, why are we putting these poor kids or these disabled kids or these students of color under so much pressure to do the thing that like we privileged people want to do? Let's just like, let's not stress them out so much. Let's give them other opportunities. Well, the problem with that, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to you right now from about a block and a half away from Amazon's corporate headquarters. Okay. Great Washington state company um, and great global company. Um, but Amazon and other tech companies um, that, that are growing our, our economy and creating jobs here are also uh, changing the nature of labor demand. And so they're just the reality is that 3D printing is going to change the demand for, for, for workers in really drastic ways. So I believe strongly that the best uh, armor that we, can, that we can give our young kids um, – uh, our teenagers as they as they graduate high school, the best armor they can put on is a bachelor's degree. And there should be different pathways to get there for different kinds of kids, but that should be the goal. And so one really uh, significant pathway that I took advantage of, maybe you took advantage of, and others do all the time is advanced placement um, exams, and uh, as well as international baccalaureate exams. It's a great way to, um, you know, to, to, to get dual credit for a student who's working hard in high school and give them just a little boost of momentum towards college as well as a really good value for college credit so that when they go to college, um, they've already you know, taken care of some of their course requirements. The problem is that because of some, some changes in the way that Congress funded funds uh, uh, AP exam subsidies for low-income kids, that money wasn't going to be available this year uh, for kids to, to, to be able to use. So what that meant was that if you were a kid on free or reduced lunch sitting in an advanced placement class um, and you actually then, you know, in May want to take the exam and get the college credit for your hard work, your family would have to um, cough up, you know, between, you know, 60 bucks to $150 for your AP or IB exams per exam 
Um, and, and that had never been the case before. So when I learned about this, I created out of my office an emergency fund. Uh, we went to the private sector uh, and raised over $400,000 in private dollars and then went and got about the same money from different public sources to match it. And um, with about $850,000 all told, uh, we guaranteed in May that every kid in the state on free or reduced lunch could take as many advanced placement or international baccalaureate exams as they want absolutely for free. And over 15,000 kids took advantage of that in May. Wow. And we'll be getting, uh, assuming they pass their exams, we'll be getting college credit to help them on their path uh, to the middle class. That's impressive, I have to say. Uh, and I'd like to actually talk for a minute about education. So obviously there are many ways to construe the purpose of education. And if you say that the purpose of a higher education degree is to cultivate a citizen to participate in society, that's one thing. It sounds like when you talk about the question that some individuals may be asking themselves saying, well, is college really for everybody? What they may be insinuating is, uh, is, is college actually something that's going to make someone career ready? And that's a different way of interpreting the purpose of higher education but if we talk about the value of education in society, what I'd like to ask you is, do plumbers value, uh, you know, a knowledge of, of Shakespeare's repertoire? Do they value uh, an understanding of what a coda is in, in music? Do they, under, do they value your knowledge of the Habsburg Empire if really what you need to do to make a living is fix some pipes or, or if you're a car mechanic to fix the car? That isn't to say that knowing about Shakespeare and the Habsburg Empire and musical theory is not important. And in, in, indeed, I think it's very important uh, in terms of the humanities, or many individuals would think that. But I guess the question would be, do you think uh, that society values higher education in terms of, uh, and, and in that sense, do you think that higher uh, a bachelor's degree is necessary in order to serve a certain role in society? And, and maybe you can kind of address college isn't for everyone within the context that, in fact, higher a, a liberal arts degree may not be valued by many different professions. Well, I think, I think right there in your last sentence, you, you teased out the answer to your own question, right, which is that there's a difference between saying college is or isn't for everyone and then saying liber the liberal arts are or aren't for everyone. And those are two very different things. Like my dad came to this country from Tehran, moved here at age 17 to study at the University of Washington. By the way, he would not have been able to do that, nor would my mom have been able to come to this country were the travel ban, um, as proposed by, by President Trump, were that, had that been in place back then. So let that be another example of uh, an American story that would have um, been cut short before it began um, were, you know, were that policy in place way back then. And my mom you know, uh, is a Superior Court judge now. My dad worked for Boeing as an engineer for many years until he passed away just last year. Um, but, you know, our, our story, uh, I think, is, is just one of many Middle Eastern American stories um, that really belies the, 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 the logic or illogic of this um, travel ban. But, but, you know, when my dad came to this country, he came to study engineering. And, um, you know, for, for all I know, and I, I would guess, he never took a Shakespeare course uh, in getting his bachelor's or master's degree. Uh, but what, what, what those degrees were able to give him was they were able to um, insulate him from the 
uh, changing economy and, te and technological um, disruptions that took place between 1970 when he got here and 2016. Um, so for those 46 years that he spent in the United States, obviously, um, you know, the, the, the nature of, of building aircraft uh, changed uh, substantially. You know, he worked in the pulp and paper industry. That industry had severe disruptions. But because he had, um, you know, a college credential, and in his case, actually also a master's degree, um, he was able, he was always a value add um, because he had that ability to learn how to learn. He had those fundamental, you know, kind of baseline theoretical concepts down so that as the applied context changed, he was able to keep, stay ahead of it. And I think that's really what's important. I, I firmly believe, just to, 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 to double back, that we that, that it's also wrong for us to be deprecating the liberal arts. I mean, you know, when you look at, um, you know, citizenship, to, to, you know, as you framed it, um, when you look at the ability to suss out the difference between, um, you know, fake news and real news and the ability to think critically um, to, uh, you know, just that kind of epistemic understanding is being challenged so much right now. Um, and so I do believe really, really firmly in the importance of the, the, um, the tools that a liberal arts degree brings. But not everyone is interested in doing that, nor should everyone have to do a bachelor's degree in a liberal arts field like I did or like maybe you did. Um, but that doesn't mean that a college degree isn't for everyone. Look, four out of five of the jobs that were lost during the Great Recession were jobs that did not require a college degree. And four out of five of the jobs that have been created since the Great Recession require a bachelor's degree or more. Four out of five. And 99% of the jobs created since the Great Recession require at least some post-secondary qualification. So, you know, this is not me trying to um, impose some kind of uh, – you know, or a, a kind of educational regime on people um, for some ulterior motive. I firmly believe, I know that if we mean that economic prosperity is for everyone, then in that same breath, we also have to say that college is for everyone. And, and you know, by the way, this is something that, you know, I can give you all kinds of data and statistics to back this up, but, you know, sometimes, I think we on the left try to substitute facts and statistics for just fundamental truths. Um, you know, you have in this country immigrants from 200 countries around the world that come here and oftentimes taking a severe personal economic hit. You know, they may go from being doctors in their home country to being an Uber driver here. Um, and they do it for one reason, Jordan. They do it for one reason, and that reason is so that their kids can go to college in the United States. You know, my parents, they didn't need to, uh, and most affluent and privileged and educated parents, they don't need to look at a kind of labor force study uh, or McKinsey or BCG report to understand that college will help their kid economically down the line. They just know it. And so the question is, are we willing to recognize the same truths with, with regard to all kids as we would towards our own. I guess 
I can't help, I can't resist asking about unemployment rates among uh, college graduates in Washington State, especially in in the uh, in, among the millennial population in the post Great Recession world. You find that a lot of individuals with college degrees um, still uh, have difficulty sustaining themselves in the share economy, or they find themselves increasingly re- relying upon the sharing economy. Or they find themselves underemployed. I think a lot of uh, I guess I wonder to what extent is not only college affordable, and of course, it's another question, which is you may graduate with a college degree, and then you have the equivalent of a home mortgage hanging over your head in terms of college debt, but really, what is a college degree buying for you? It may make you eligible, but if it's so competitive, uh, you, you know, there may be people with graduate degrees or 10 years experience applying for the same jobs that recent college grads are doing. So. I guess what have you what has been done in Washington State to ensure that not only is college something that's attainable for every uh, student in Washington, but that they can sustain themselves and grow to be a productive member of, of society in Washington State once they do have a college degree. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought this up because I think there's a lot of misinformation that's out there um, about you know the, the lot of of, uh, of college graduates. So, you know, the, the unemployment rate for college graduates in Washington State nationally um, has pretty consistently stayed under 4%. Um, you know, here in uh, the greater Seattle area, uh, and not just Seattle itself, but Seattle, Bellevue, all the way up to Everett, uh, the unemployment rate is under 3% for everybody, and that's in large part. Uh, because we have such a high level of college attainment. Um, you know, you never saw at the height of the Great Recession, you never saw um, unemployment, uh, the unemployment rate for college degree holders, bachelor's degree holders ever go above 5%, whereas the unemployment rate for people without college degrees, um, you know, was, was in many parts of our country up to 20%. Um, you know, in terms of earnings potential, the data now shows that someone with a college degree makes as much as 90% more than uh, someone with a uh, in the same field without a college degree. Um, I mean, this is the reason why uh, when you look at the Gilman schools or over here Lakeside or, you know, take your pick, Andover, Exeter, um, or our top public schools, this is the reason why people with choices still send their kids to college, right? I mean, it's like we, we it, sometimes I think we just, again, I think we end up in these like kind of abstract, these kind of abstract debates and um, we, we, we kind of fail to, uh, to, to recognize fundamental truth. Secondly, um, a, a student loan, um, so, so we need to do a lot more to make college more affordable and more accessible. That's, I, I think we agree on that. Um, Washington State was the only state in the country um, in, in, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, was the first state um, anywhere for many years to actually lower college tuition at our public universities um, and have made a real serious and bipartisan um, effort to uh, actualize effort to keep tuition low um, in some really difficult times, despite the fact that we've been um, fighting to comply with a court order related to K-12 education that's required us to spend a lot of money there. So. Um, so, yeah, we need to do a lot more. Um, we need to, uh, to make sure that, that, you know, kids and, and working adults who want to go back 
um, can afford to uh, to go. I just visited Tennessee and uh, had a chance to meet with the governor, lieutenant governor, uh, and higher ed officials in Tennessee, listening to what they've done to make uh, community college uh, free for the Tennessee promise uh, f uh, for people, both uh, high schoolers who, who are going to college, but also working adults going back. That's 100% true. But I want to say that even with, um, you know, as, as much of a burden as tuition can be right now, getting a college degree is still a fantastic investment. Um, you know, you said, okay, it's as much as a home mortgage. Well, I don't know if it's quite as much as a home mortgage um, here in Washington State. Our housing has gone through the roof. But um, I will say that, um, look, if, if, you know, if you even have, let's say, a loan where, you know, once you graduate, you're going to have $400 uh, a month or $500 a month in student loan payments, which is substantial. Um, the data that I mentioned about earnings potential clearly demonstrates that someone with a bachelor's degree is going to be making more than $5,000 or $6,000 a year more than someone with just a high school diploma. And certainly, that's in year one. Now, Cyrus. span it out 10 years, 15 years, and look at the difference in earning potential between that college degree holder 15 years later versus a high school diploma. You've given a lot of food for thought to our listeners today. Of course, we are approaching the end of this episode, so I'd like to ask a final two-part question of you. Um, you are the chief opportunity officer, or sometimes referred to as such, for Washington State, and it seems as though uh, the a general theme of, 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 your, of your time in public service is that you think that society needs high expectations, and it's clear that you have those of students in Washington State. The question is, how how would you explain to your constituents across Washington State why it is that even with a disability, even with having been told that maybe college wasn't for you, what would you tell your constituents is the reason that you have you've decided to dedicate a significant portion of your life to public service through elected office and otherwise, and what do you hope will be the effect of your engagement in public service uh, upon the people of the state of Washington? Well, it's, it's exactly because I was told those things. You know, um, I like to, you know, I like to say I've got maybe, I, you know, like like uh, people say about our uh, Seattle Seahawks, uh, who are uh, going to head to the Super Bowl again here uh, in in just a couple months. You know, but like them, you know, I think I have a constructive chip on my shoulder, which is to say that you know, growing up, I um, I did hear a lot of that, um, and you know, there were. There were two types of people in my life, people who said, let's figure out how we're going to get you to where you want to be. And the people that, that said, well, is that really what you want? Is that really, you know, necessary? And so um, my goal is to partner with people in category number one, organizations in category number one, politicians and elected officials in category number one, to try to expand opportunities for everybody, not just in the educational context, but we, we want to do that in the economic context so that farmers and manufacturers and tech entrepreneurs um, and, and, you know, people working in the retail industry, all, all of those adults also can experience um, great opportunity in this changing economy and in this increasingly global and um, disruptive economy of ours. That's, that's what motivates me. And, you know, I would love to have the effect of 
giving people that same sense of boundless opportunity, even and, and specifically, um, precisely in moments of great uh, anxiety and distress, so that they can know that in this great country, anything is possible. And that has been Lieutenant Governor Cyrus Habib of the state of Washington, the president of the Washington State Senate, a former state senator and representative who speaks about getting people where they want to go. As the chief opportunity officer, having gone from Braille to Yale, Cyrus has high expectations for the people of the state of Washington. He thinks that it's those low expectations that keep people down, saying that college maybe isn't for you, that, that it really it's the high expectations of his mother and those who supported him as he grew up that enabled him to aim high and end up in one of the nation's best law schools, a Rhodes Scholar in the United Kingdom, and now uh, one of the chief executives of his state. He speaks about creating boundless opportunities for all Americans, for everybody within his jurisdiction. And that's his vision of a better world that he works to achieve every single day through his current office as Lieutenant Governor of the state of Washington. Cyrus, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Really appreciate it. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.